0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Choices have consequences. It's a lesson that parents try to teach to their children. Some children find it hard to learn that lesson. Some adults have never learned that lesson. We all need to make many different choices each day. We make choices about when to get up. That choice will will determine if we have time for breakfast and devotions or not. It may affect whether we make it to work on time or not. It seems like a little thing, but the choice of when to get up has consequences for the rest of our day. Some choices we make may only have short-term consequences. If I stuff myself full of junk food, I'm only likely to feel sick for a few hours. Other choices have long-term consequences. Experimenting with drugs could lead to a lifetime of addiction with all the pain and the sorrow attached to that. I think we all understand that there are important choices we make in life that will significantly influence our future. It is likely that your marriage partner will have more impact on your life, for good or for bad, than any other person you know. Deciding to move to another country or city will affect your relationships with family and friends, and your involvement your local church community. The choices we make in life influence our relationship with God. The Bible teaches us that we reap what we sow. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Most of the choices that we make in life are made either out of self-interest or otherwise in the service of God. So we need to be careful about our choices. They'll either lead us on the broad road leading to destruction or on the narrow pathway leading to life. Our text speaks about the choice of the people of Reuben and Gad, to live on the other side of the Jordan. Instead of seeking to inherit the land that the Lord swore on oath to Abraham and his offspring, these tribes wanted to inhabit the former territory of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Our text details the motivation of the people of Reuben and Gad. Moses' response to them and the consequences of their choice. It provides us with some important life lessons. This morning, I summarize the theme of our text in the form of a question Where do you seek your inheritance? We should not seek our inheritance in the things of this world, we should seek our inheritance in God and His rich promises. Beloved, when's the last time that you ever heard of someone complaining about having too much money or too many possessions? There are many who think they do not have enough. In our materialistic society, there are many who are not content with what they have. But the only time you ever hear about people complaining about having too much is when they're moving and when they need to pack up all their belongings In our society, we are conditioned to think that there is no such thing as having too much. Yet we're also living in more affluent times than almost any other time in human history. Throughout the centuries, uh, people have been accustomed to living in tiny houses with only a few sets of clothing and some prized possessions. Yet we continue to add to our stuff, and we need more and more space to store it all. Our text deals with an ancient version of the problem of having too much stuff. It begins by stating that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a great number of livestock. They acquired their wealth legitimately through hard work. And more recently, by sharing in the spoil of their enemies. Having lots of stuff was not in and of itself a sin, but having too much stuff placed a temptation on their pathway. Our text focuses on that temptation and on how the people of Reuben and Gad dealt with it. The temptation that faced these tribes was to settle in a place determined by their possessions. Rather than by the Lord's promise, they went to Moses and requested permission to live in the Transjordan region, outside of the land that the Lord had promised to give to Abraham. What was it that motivated this request? Our text says that they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. This was good grazing land, and they had abundant flocks and herds, so they asked to be allowed to settle in this place, just a few miles short of the promised land." The key word in verse 1 of our text is the verb, to see. The people saw the land. In the Bible, seeing is often considered the opposite of believing. It's often our sight that gets us into trouble because we make superficial judgments. In the fall into sin, Eve saw that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And so she ate to the forbidden fruit instead of believing God's word. That eating it would bring death upon her. In the same way, Lot was faced with a choice when he was forced to separate from Abraham because their flocks were too large for them to to live together. Lot saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. He chose to settle in what looked like the best part of the land without considering the implications of doing so. He settled among the wicked people of Sodom. And the result was that he shared in the judgment God brought upon them. Because of their great number of livestock, the people of the tribes of Reuben and Gad decided that they wanted to stay in the land that had been taken from Sihon and Og. The question we need to ask is... Was this a good choice, or was this a bad choice? It appears that their decision is based on practical considerations. They had large flocks and herds, and their livestock needed grass to eat. The land east of the Jordan River was ideally suited to raise livestock, and so they asked to settle there. God does not seem to factor into their considerations. God's promises to them are ignored because of the practical suitability of the Transjordan for raising cattle. We need to remember that the Lord had made a covenant with Abraham and his offspring. Part of God's promise was to give his people the land of Canaan. These promises had been reaffirmed to their fathers at Mount Sinai and to the people themselves as they were camped on the plains of Moab. God was going to give the land of Canaan to the 12 tribes of Israel. But in our text, two of these tribes say, the land east of the Jordan River will do for us. There's a lesson in all this for us, beloved. How do we make decisions about the more important things in life? Do we make decisions based on what we see with our eyes? On how attractive this opportunity appears to be? Or the benefit I can derive from it? When we're making up our mind, does God factor into our decision-making? Do we consider the long-term effects of our decision on our walk with God? As young people, we may meet others who are super attractive to us. Perhaps it's their outward looks, their personality, their dependability, their caring nature, their ability to make us laugh, or some combination of such things. Our hearts may be drawn to such a person. We may feel a deep desire to share our life with that person. Yet we need to be aware of making our choices based on what we see with our eyes or what we feel in our hearts. If that person does not share your faith, God teaches that you should not go out with him or her. And God doesn't say that because he wants to deny you the desire of your heart. He says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers because he knows an unbeliever cannot help you walk in his ways. God's concern is that such a relationship will cause you much pain. It may even lead you astray. At times, we're tempted to take a job where we can make a lot of money in a short period of time. The oil sands are a good example. When the oil and gas industry was booming, companies were willing to fly workers in and out regularly and pay them lots to get them to work in remote northern communities. Many saw this as a great opportunity thinking that in six months or in a year they could save up enough money to make a down payment on a house. They were lured by the loot without any consideration for how this might affect the rest of their lives. Part of the deal was that you were required to work three weeks straight before being flown home for some time off. So during your time away, there was no opportunity to observe Sunday as a day of rest and worship. Living in camp also presented certain temptations. There's little to do after work. Most people worked hard and then drank and gambled during their time off. There are also opportunities to hook up sexually without anyone back home knowing anything about it. Can you understand, beloved? How we need to be careful about making choices based on what we see with our eyes. In 1 John 2, the Apostle warns us not to love the world or the things of the world. He says that the desires of the flesh and the desires of our eyes come not from the Father, but from the world. John warns us the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. In our decisions, we need to consider more than what we see with our eyes. We must live by faith, trusting God's gracious promises, expecting all good things from His hands. We need to make sure we consider God in our decision-making Now, when people are making bad choices, they need to be confronted. In our text, Moses challenges the desire of the people of Reuben and Gad. Moses confronted them for their selfishness. Why should they settle into a comfortable life in the Transjordan while the rest of the tribes needed to enter Canaan to fight against their enemies? It's easier to set up a farm in Jazer and Gilead than to face enemy arrows west of the Jordan. Like the people of Reuben and Gad, we too are inclined to take the easy and comfortable pathway instead of serving on the front lines. There's times when we experience this in church life. Why does the church often struggle to find volunteers? Why are our communal Bible studies often poorly attended? Because it's more comfortable to take the soft option of staying home and spending time behind our screens. Moses rebuked the people of Reuben and Gad because of their half heartedness, and because half heartedness is so often contagious. Moses charged them with discouraging their brothers and sisters who needed to go to war while they settled into a land that had already been conquered. Perhaps these tribes thought that the other tribes didn't need them. They'd wiped out the Midianites with only 12,000 men. We can fall into that way of thinking as well in the church. Thinking there's lots of other people to step up. I'm already busy enough. And yet when there's only a few who step up, it's discouraging to see the lack of enthusiasm from others. Beloved, let's not discourage those who are active by our inaction. Finally, Moses called out the people of Reuben and Gad for being like their forefathers who refused to conquer the land because they feared the giants living there. Moses called them a brood of sinful men. The first generation that came out of Egypt had died in the wilderness for their unbelief and their rebellion. The people of Reuben and Gad were in danger of having the same happen to them. Many times, when we express concern about people's wrong choices, they're not willing to listen. It's hard to change when you've set your heart on a certain course of action. People will say, who are you to tell me how to live my life? In our text, we see that the people of Reuben and Gad were still determined to settle in the Transjordan. But thankfully, they did take Moses' words to heart. They listened to his rebuke, and they responded positively. This new generation was not like their fathers, who feared going in to conquer Canaan. The people of Reuben and Gad asked for permission to build pens for their livestock and places for their women and children to live in safety in the Transjordan. They promised that they would lead Israel's troops into battle against the Canaanites and that they would fight as long as it took for each of the people to settle into their own inheritance. This was not a grudging acceptance of Moses' rebuke. It was a wholehearted commitment to do right by the ten tribes so they could settle In the promised land. When pushed, the people of Reuben and Gad were willing to live by faith rather than by sight. While they looked forward to settling in the land that they had chosen for themselves as an inheritance, they knew that their true inheritance lay in the Lord and in his promises, and not just in the blessings that he gave. We can learn from this, beloved. It's easy for us to set our hearts on this world, on all the pleasure that it offers. Many of us want to live a comfortable life. It's simply human to desire that. But what happens when there's a conflict between what we want and what God requires? Do we seek our life in this world and what it has to offer? Or do we seek it in the Lord and in his rich promises? Do we live our lives purely from an earthly perspective? Or do we consider that there's more to life than we can see with our physical eyes? We deal with this further in our second point. You know, we learn that we should seek our inheritance in God and in his rich promises. In our text, we see that Moses accepts the compromise suggested by the people of Reuben and Gad. and he gave specific instructions to Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. Moses commanded that if the men of Reuben and Gad fulfilled their commitment to lead Israel's troops into battle, and the land of Canaan was subdued, then they were to be given the land of Gilead as their possession. Moses thus ensured that these tribes fulfilled the obligations that they made. Yet, this still leaves us with a question about the basic choice made by these tribes to settle in the Transjordan. Was this a wise or a foolish choice? What were the consequences of this choice? In the long run, was this beneficial or not? did it have a good outcome or a bad one it's important to ask these questions for while the lord allowed the reubenites and gadites to settle in gilead this was not his intent it was not in accordance with the promise with his promise to give the 12 tribes of israel the land of canaan as their inheritance There was one good thing that resulted from the choice of Reuben and Gad. Israel's territory was enlarged. All that good grazing land on the other side of the Jordan came under Israel's control. The boundary of the promised land was effectively enlarged. But there were also negative consequences that resulted from their choice. It made life in Canaan more difficult for the ten tribes. They were often spread too thinly. Israel had problems in occupying its territory. They had trouble completely eradicating the Canaanite nations. Throughout the time of Joshua and the judges, the Canaanite people continued to tempt and to seduce the Israelites. God's people got sucked into idolatry and wickedness. These wicked people were not fully subdued until the days of King David. How much different that might have been if all 12 tribes had occupied Canaan. The decision of Reuben and Gad to live in the Transjordan created disunity in Israel. There was a sense in which it now became a divided nation. It's no longer one for all and all for one. It's often that way when we make selfish choices or choices based on our own self-interest. Israel never really flourished as one nation under God. David had to fight most of his life to subdue Israel's enemies. During Solomon's reign, there was peace in the land. Yet at his death, the nation split in two. In some ways, the seeds of that breakup were sown already in the events of our text. Here is a reminder that our choices have consequences for other people. If your choices are motivated by self-interest, they will have a detrimental effect on others. It's why in Philippians 2, Paul encourages us to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another. He writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul points us to Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is willing to be a servant for us. Jesus did not act out of self-interest. He gave up the glories of heaven. He suffered much during his earthly life for us. Jesus was willing to humble himself even to death on a cross to pay the price to redeem us from our sins. Like Jesus Our decisions should not be based solely on our wants and desires. We need to take the well-being of others into consideration. There are times when we may be called to forego our own comfort or convenience, to serve the needs of others. The choice of the Reubenites and Gadites to settle in the Transjordan also had detrimental consequences for themselves. It meant that for seven years, these men were away for their homes and families, as Israel warred against the Canaanite nations. They also robbed their families of some of the wonderful experiences of God's power and His grace. These families missed out on seeing the walls of Jericho come down. They were not there to see Rahab and her family saved by God's grace. One of the most serious consequences of their choice to live in the Transjordan was the lack of security that they themselves later suffered. The land east of the Jordan was much more difficult to defend than Canaan itself. Canaan had natural borders like the Jordan River to help in its defense. The land east of the Jordan was much more vulnerable In later generations, it was generally the first part of Israel's territory to suffer under enemy attacks. All of this makes us realize that while Moses accepted the compromise suggested by the people of Reuben and Gad, their choice was based on short-term self-interest. These two tribes settled for what was actually Second best. God's best for them was across the Jordan in the promised land. This was the heritage the Lord had promised to Abraham's offspring. Their choice was second best. What about all the choices that we make in life, beloved? Like the Israelites of old, we too are often tempted... To choose with our eyes rather than with hearts trusting in God. We can be tempted to choose a life's partner based on looks rather than his or her Christian character. We're tempted to choose a job based on income potential rather than on the opportunity to use God's, to use our gifts in God's service. We're tempted to spend vast amounts of money on clothing, cars, and living a comfortable life instead of investing our treasure in heavenly causes. The Lord Jesus confronted this way of thinking in our reading from Matthew 16. After telling his disciples of how we must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things at the hands of the Jewish leaders and be killed and be raised on the third day, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Jesus asked his followers this uncomfortable question He asked, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We often strive after material prosperity and a comfortable life, just like the tribes of Reuben and Gad did. But, beloved, at what cost? Generally speaking, would you say that material prosperity brings people closer to God? Or does it make them independent and self-reliant? Where is your heart, beloved? On what is your life focused? Are we seeking our inheritance in the things of this world? Or in God and all His rich promises? Does that show in the decisions that you make from day to day? Do you realize that the decisions you make, both about small things and about more important things, have consequences? Do you understand that you will reap what you sow? In Colossians 3, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. Our text calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. It's often so difficult for us to do. We live in this world. We experience many good things in it. We have hearts that are inclined by nature to want more. We don't always think clearly about the results of making certain choices in life. We're not always willing to listen to the wise counsel of others who warn us and rebuke us when we're making bad choices. Sometimes the result is that we have to learn the hard way by suffering the consequences of bad decisions in life. And that's not the worst thing if we learn from our mistakes What's worse is when we seek our inheritance in this world and what it has to offer. It's terrible when we, having shared in God's blessings, forsake him to pursue what the world has to offer. It's awful when those who have been raised as Christians turn their backs on God because they think more of the pleasures of this life than God's promise of eternal life. Beloved, set your eyes on Jesus Christ. Satan tempted him to settle for second best. But while in the wilderness, Jesus rejected the easy option. He chose the way of the cross. He walked the pathway of suffering in order to obtain glory not just for himself but also for us. It's because of his redeeming work that God has promised us that we may share in all his wonderful blessings. Because Jesus didn't settle for a second best, we may be sure that for us The best is yet to come. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 62, stanzas 1 and 6.